I want you to turn to Genesis, Genesis, if you will, Genesis chapter 37, Genesis 37. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at some other passages as well. Genesis 37. Let's look at verse five. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. He starts to try to explain the dream to his brothers hoping that that will help them, give them better understanding. But the more he tries to explain it, the more that they hate him. By the time you get down to verse 19, they've now turned to bitterness and hatred in their heart. And they said one to another, this dreamer cometh. There's a few things I wanna call your attention to. Uh, I don't speak a lot about dreams, but uh, I believe that God gives people dreams. Really, just about every great thing that people experience in the Christian life, it comes about because God gives a dream. This building, long before that this building was ever constructed, it was first a dream. It was dropped in the heart, the mind of individuals, and we knew the direction. We didn't have everything finalized, but it was a dream that later became a reality. A lot of you have finished your high school education. It was a dream for you to graduate. I'm sure there's some folks here in the crowd tonight that you may even have been one of the first members of your family to graduate from high school or from college. It was a dream that became a reality. And there's nothing wrong with dreams. Now, I know that sometimes we put maybe too much stock in dreams as far as what the world describes a dream to be. And even people will say, well, preacher, you're reading from the Old Testament tonight. And in the Old Testament, uh, yes, dreams were vital, but God didn't end dreams with the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament, dreams still existed. In fact, you know, the church of Jesus Christ itself, the church of the living God, it was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Calvary provided the gospel and Pentecost provided the power to preach the gospel. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one accord. And then we know also that when Peter began to speak in Acts chapter two, among the other things that he referred to, he went back to the Old Testament prophecy of Joel. And he talked about the last days, that in the last days, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, when he's referring to the last days, he's talking about the period of time from the ushering in of the Holy Spirit until the time when the church is caught away. Those last days. You say, well, preacher, that's been 2,000 years, but what's 2,000 years to an eternal God? So he said, that's the last dispensation that's there. So in the last days, there will be people that will dream dreams. But the thing that caught my mind, it's wonderful to receive a dream from God. 
a dream that is a mental image of something that God has in store for you in your life. He'll back it with a promise. The dream though is only a dream until it eventually becomes reality. The dream starts out as the impression in our mind. It's vivid, it's real. Now I'm not talking about a nightmare. Nightmares come from the devil. I'm talking about dreams that God gives us in our heart. And I think one of the sad things about the, the ministry that I'm involved in, I go from church to church and I'm a revivalist. I spend time trying to reach the lost as an evangelist, but more and more I become a revivalist because the biggest problem, you can't get people saved because lost people aren't there because the church needs revival. And the reason the church needs revival is that they no longer have a dream. They are content, they're satisfied. They feel there's no room for spiritual growth. There's no need to reach others. They're satisfied with putting in their time, spending their time, their days, doing nothing, being nothing, and hoping that maybe they'll make an impact. I wish I could tell you that people with a dream are accepted, but what I read to you tonight from the life of Joseph People oftentimes are hated because they're a dreamer. They're hated because of the fact they push people out of their comfort zones. They make people look bad. They don't do it intentionally to make people look bad, but you know, it's kind of like shouters. Shouters make dead people look bad. And therefore it's easier to kill the shouter and to stop the shout than it is to rejoice in what God's doing because we get a place of contentment. Some people like things, they say, oh, it ought to be done, preacher, in decency and order. Yes, I know that passage and, and you're taking it out of context. You, you know, if you want order, go to Arlington Cemetery. They do everything in order there. But sometimes the order of God is not the order of the world and the way that God does things is not the way that the world does things. So we have this dreamer and he's hated for his dream. But you know, if you really have a dream, if you have a dream of seeing your family saved, if God has dropped it in your heart, a dream of seeing you do something great and making an impact for God, if you really have a dream, listen to what I'm about to tell you. A dream can only be fulfilled if you survive the night. You gotta make it till morning. You have the dream perhaps while you're asleep at night, but there's a period of time between the time you're asleep and the time that you awaken and the dream becomes a reality. Now, I've pastored people long enough that I can say with all assurance, the reason that people have lost their thrill and their joy in serving the Lord is that they're not handling the dream properly. Joseph went through a period of time where that he had this dream, but look where it led him, into a pit, sold as a slave. He was finally elevated 
only to be falsely accused, to be thrown into a prison, was forgotten about when he did great things while he was in prison, but he still had the dream. God had told him in a dream. That's why his brothers were so hated, hated him so much is because in this dream, he was going to be elevated by God. It wasn't arrogance on his part. The dream wasn't his fault. God put that dream inside of him and he just couldn't help but believe it. Has God ever put something in you that is bigger than you and you just can't help but believe it? But look at the trouble he went through from the time he received the dream until it became reality. God knew who he'd called. God knew who he had set aside. God knew the dream that he'd given to him. You know, I guess the thing is this. If God ever gives anyone a dream in the Bible, you'll find that when they get their dream, from the time that it's a dream until it becomes fulfilled as a reality, they always face trouble. So God only gives dreams to people that he can trust with trouble. Can he trust you with trouble? Or if trouble comes your way, are you gonna throw your hands up and say, I knew that God wouldn't be there when I need him. I knew that God would bless everybody else and help everybody else get to where they wanna be, but not me. It never turns out right for me. It's right for everybody. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's two types of trouble. There's trouble that you go through because you bring it on yourself. You don't use good wisdom. You don't use good judgment. We've all done that. We've brought trouble into our life just because we didn't seek God. We didn't do things right. There's some things that you're going to suffer because you're suffering at your own hands. But then there's other trouble that comes into your life only because God put a dream in your heart. And the trouble is trying to stop you from seeing the dream come to pass. And that's exactly what Joseph faced. And that's the thing that others in the Bible have faced. But now you're at this place where you have this dream. What do I do with it? I couldn't help but think. I want you to... I want you to join with me tonight and, and turn to Genesis, if you will, turn to Genesis 21. And I'm gonna back up just a little bit and tell you a little bit of this story. It really starts in the 16th chapter of Genesis. In the 16th chapter, but I wanna be reading to you out of the 21st chapter of Genesis. In Genesis 16, there is a lady. She is a handmaid of Sarah. Her name is Hagar. God had given Abraham and Sarah a dream. They were elderly. He said that to Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm gonna bless your seed. And if, a, if they can number, a man can number the grains of sand on the seashore, he'll be able to number your seed. If he can number the stars that's in the heaven, he'll be able to number your seed. I'm gonna bless your seed and from your seed, all the people of the earth shall be blessed. He made that covenant to him. 10 years has now passed. Abraham is 10 years older. Sarah is 10 years older. 
Sarah has given up on the dream. Have you ever quit believing? Isn't it a terrible thing to stop believing? Do you realize that you could stop believing one day short of your dream becoming reality? Happens all the time. People stop believing. God puts it in their heart, I'm going to give you healing. I'm going to help you through this. But in the middle of the night, they decide it's not worth waking up to in the morning, so they stop short and they die with their dream. Here, they've reached the point where they say, it's not going to happen, so let's make it happen somehow. God doesn't want second best, and God doesn't need our help. Quit trying to help God. He helps us. He's self-sufficient. He's not relying on us to do anything. He's God, he can do anything that he wants to do. But they said, we'll help the Lord out. So Sarah brings Hagar to Abram. And they join together and she conceives. She's with child. When she realizes that she's now conceived, there is strife that comes about between Sarah and Hagar. Hagar is out now. She's fleeing from Sarah because Sarah has dealt harshly with her and she's on the run. It's like a lot of people tonight, they're not in anybody's church because somebody was hard on them. Somebody said something they didn't like. Somebody looked at them the wrong way. Somebody didn't shake their hand. Somebody didn't buy them a birthday gift. Somebody forgot to mention them in the prayer room when they had prayer. I am preaching tonight. You can say amen. You're here. I'm talking about the ones that's not here. They'll hear about it. And here they are now. They're frustrated with everything that's going on. And they flee. They think that if I just leave, someone told me here a while back, said, why, in your church, you, you hurt my feelings. And, and therefore, I can't come back to church there. I said, well, what church are you going to? None. Maybe they're not fleeing from me or fleeing from the church. Maybe they're fleeing from the dream. And she finds herself by a fountain and she's weeping and God sends an angel to her. And the strangest thing, she's going to have a son. The son's name is Ishmael. Sarah later conceives, has a son, Isaac. And we'll get to that in the 21st chapter. But here she is now. She knows that she's going to have a son and she realizes there's such strife and she's now fled. But the angel says, return, go back. I want you to go back to Sarah and Abraham. I know that it's hard. Everything in life's not gonna be easy. Quit expecting everything to come easy. Some things, if it's worth it, you're gonna have to fight to get it. You're gonna fight the devil. You're gonna fight fear. You're gonna fight others, not physically, but a spiritual battle. You're going to fight powers of darkness. If it's worth having, you've gotta fight for it. You've gotta believe God for it. You can't lay down and cower down and say I'm going to run from it. You've got to say God gave me this dream and I'm not going to stop until I see it come to pass. And then in about the 10th verse of that chapter, God gives her a beautiful promise. Says this child that you have, God said I will multiply 
thy seed exceedingly. Isn't that something? He's now got a covenant with Abraham and now she has a covenant. She returns. Ishmael is born. Sarah has a child. His name is Isaac. The strife intensifies and when you get to the 21st chapter, we find out something terrible happens. Now when she has Ishmael, she has a promise. She has a dream. She looks at that baby and she sees more than a baby. She sees a nation of people. Because God gave a promise to the angel of the Lord. I will multiply thy seed. That's the beginning. It always has to start with one. But God says, I'm going to multiply that. So in her arms, when Ishmael is born, she's holding a dream. Isn't that, isn't that the way you looked at your child? When your children were born and you held them in your arms? Didn't you have dreams and aspirations for your child? Didn't you want to see God do great things in their life? You, you wondered as you hold them, what, what does God have for their future? That is a dream in your hand. She had a dream with that baby. God started the process. But then Isaac was born. Sarah says enough is enough. And look in verse 14. And Abraham, chapter 21, verse 14, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder. And the child, that's Ishmael, and sent her away. And she departed and wondered in the what? In the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent. The Bible's telling us it's gone. The water was spent in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off as it were a bow shot, like if you'd shoot an arrow, where the arrow would land, she was that far away. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the what? Of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, what aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Notice, he didn't, he didn't say, Hagar, I hear you crying. I hear the voice of the lad and where he is. Here's his command to Hagar, arise, lift up the lad, hold him in thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. Is that not a repeat? of what he said in the previous chapter that I referenced to you. I'm gonna multiply your seed, it has to start with him. He said, I'm going to make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt 
in the wilderness and became an archer. Now, right now, some of you are saying, preacher, I don't see where you're going. Is it okay if I just give this to you the way that God gave it to me? When you have to look at it the way God has given it in his word. See, she had a dream. When you replace that word lad with dream, you finally get the full picture of what's happening to Hagar because it can happen to any one of us. Even though we're a believer, it can happen so easily. Look at what she did. She was sent out with the dream and she was sent into the wilderness. That's the night. You're going to get a dream, but you're going to have a hard time seeing the dream fulfilled sometimes. So here she is with the responsibility of this child. She has this bottle of water. She's going out in the wilderness and the water runs out. She knows there is nothing to eat. There is nothing to drink. Play close close attention, verse 15. She casts the child under one of the shrubs. The child is a picture of the dream. She threw her dream down. She threw her dream away. And then she goes over a bow shot distance, turns her back. She not only cast away her dream, but now she turns her back on the dream. And the reason she turns her back Her dream is dying and she cannot stand to see her dream die. And she said, I don't wanna see the dream die, so I'm turning my back on the dream. I can't watch it die. And she starts to weep, but God doesn't answer her. But when that baby begins to cry, when that child begins to cry, Notice the lad, the child is the dream. God didn't hear her weeping. God heard her dream crying out. And when the dream started to cry out to God, God remembered, I made a promise. And there is a nation that's coming out of him. And he said, I have heard your dream crying out to me. And he said, I'm going to open your eyes. And God opened her eyes. How did he open her eyes? He let her see a way to cause her dream to live. God provided what was needed for the dream to continue to live, I'm about to preach tonight. And he said, take the dream, arise, lift him up, pick your dream up and lift your dream up to me. And God said, I'm going to bless that child and take care of you. Your dream hasn't died. And instead, in the wilderness, the dream grew and the dream survived. Why is that important to me, preacher? I'll tell you why. You'll pray and you'll pray and you'll pray, but it looks like your dream is dying. Instead of your children getting saved, they seem to get farther from God. Pastors pray, church leaders pray, faithful members pray but instead of their church growing, it seems like it's dying. And they're saying, I don't understand. God, you gave me a dream. I know that dream was from you, but here I am now. It's not 
getting better. But I want you to know, God remembers the voice of your dream. And your dream can survive the wilderness because God has grace in the wilderness. Every one of you do you good to go home and read Jeremiah 31 too. There is grace in the wilderness. Wow, what a sermon. God has grace in the wilderness. God doesn't let your dream die. You may kill your dream. You may turn your back on your dream. You may cast away your dream. But God says, if I gave you the dream, the dream's not gonna die. It's gonna come to pass. It's a picture of hope. Would you be sincere in your heart tonight? Can I ask you, is there anyone here tonight that has ever, or even maybe right now, you're facing something that looks like a hopeless situation? Seems like there's things that you can't mend or you can't fix or you can't take care of. And the devil would love for you to turn your back on the dream. You've dreamed of certain things happening. I'm not talking about some fake sense of an unrealistic, fictitious world. I know we live in a real world, but I know God keeps dreams alive in the wilderness. But most dreams have to go through the wilderness. There's a time period from the time God gives you that until God performs that because he performs it in his time, in his way, for his glory. Don't throw your dream away. Your dream's not dead. It may be alone and it may be crying, but it's still alive. God has a way of providing for you when you need it most.